0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health and the profession of pharmacy.
1: Thank you for joining us for well-being and resiliency in pharmacy practice. This podcast is a forum where you can listen in as members share successful strategies on wellness and resiliency in their both their personal and professional lives. My name is Brooke Stevens, I'm a Clinical Pharmacist and Specialty Pharmacy Clinical Manager at Indiana University Health, and I will be your host for today's episode. With me are Dr. Sina Haynes from University of Mississippi and Dr. Melanie Townsend from Billings Clinic. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Haynes and Dr. Townsend. Let's get started talking about today's topic, well-being and resiliency in pharmacy practices. For our first question, the pandemic has been challenging for many individuals on a personal and professional level. Have you seen any changes to the well-being of your residents since the beginning of the pandemic? Cena, we'll start with you.
2: Thank you, Brooke, and it's wonderful to be here to spend this time with you today. I think this is a great question. I think most of our listeners might know that certainly before COVID came, roughly a a third of Americans were already feeling lonely. We know that the mental health statistics were not glowing before COVID. And I think this has certainly been magnified by the pandemic. And therefore, COVID has certainly impacted our residents. I think often our residents come to us more so matched from out of state, and they're coming a long distance from home to the unfamiliar. I think it's very natural for many to feel disconnected, to feel anxious regarding this unknown or feeling somewhat isolated, which is what residents have been having to certainly face with COVID when we were in the shutdown. And so it impacted their ability to get acquainted with their new colleagues and with their new area that they're living in for the year of their training program or more. And I think that then hampered or hindered the ability to develop some new routines or rituals. I think the pandemic has changed how we acculturate in so many ways due to the shutdown and for so many being in remote status, working in telehealth. I think we have been facing unprecedented times. And so I imagine our residents, like all of us, have had fear about working in healthcare, being a frontline health professional, perhaps have faced challenges in terms of their own sleep and work life, their ability to focus on self-care and self-love, and perhaps at times feeling overwhelmed. I know that personal health and safety for themselves and from their loved ones is really tantamount. And I know individuals handle adversity in very different ways. So it's so very important to have processes and systems and support for all of us during such difficult times
0: because of the
2: impact felt really across the globe.
0: Those are really great points, Sina. I think for us in the beginning of the pandemic, thinking back to March 2020, our residents were really overwhelmed like everyone else, really with the uncertainty. In particular, from the residency program standpoint, we were thinking a lot about the need to protect our residents from COVID, trying to ensure that they could successfully complete their year without becoming ill. Many of our organizational meetings, like a lot across the country, we moved to virtual platforms or many opportunities were actually canceled. So we had to reevaluate how our residents could achieve their objectives for the year with the currently available options. So we did become a lot more creative at that time, but there were growing pains transitioning to the virtual platform, virtual meetings, shifting around rotations like many around the country probably had to do things like we did where rotations became virtual learning. Surprisingly, our residents actually noted their well-being improved with COVID initially because the number of outside obligations were reduced. Our hospital census was low because of things like restricting elective surgeries. So they actually found there was more time to interact with preceptors. They got to spend a lot of time focusing in the patient care area. And we actually did allow them to work from home on project days to allow some of that safety not asking them to come to the hospital just to do projects. The next residency class though, in 2020 to 2021, they had a good baseline well-being. I noticed as a program director, they were more flexible and open-minded than past residents, probably because they had to deal with a lot of changes to their experiential rotations as APPE students. And a lot of them had to deal with the disappointment of virtual graduation from pharmacy school. So they were sort of used to having to adjust their expectations. So when the first surge of COVID came to Montana in the fall of 2020, our residents did well adapting like the rest of the staff. So, of course, they saw changes to rotations where you'd see more critically ill patients in other rotations where they normally wouldn't be. And preceptors were less available for normal rotation activities, things like topic discussions or patient reviews. But our program did well kind of anticipating these changes and trying to do our best to adapt to those changes and how it would impact their education. Of course, like many across the country, pharmacists got really involved in the vaccine clinics. And so some of our residents noticed that their preceptors got pulled away from normal rotation activities to be involved in that really important process. And so really, our residents did well throughout the year, but they had kind of those same normal interruptions that a lot of residents across the country did. This year's class is doing well. I think they're used to the pandemic like the rest of us, so they've shown the normal amounts of stress. Just like many of us, they were hopeful that we could have more in-person experiences this year. However, a lot of things are still in the virtual platform. The one thing that I've noticed, though, with our residents in the last couple of years is they're just more flexible and open-minded and used to those changes that have to happen. And when things don't meet their expectations, they tend to take it better than I would say residents prior to the pandemic would have taken. On the other hand, though, one something I did want to point out is our resident preceptor well-being probably has continued to trend downward in the pandemic over the last two years because they really haven't had time to recoup and recover. So along with a lot of healthcare workers, COVID created a lot of challenges for our pharmacists. You know, everything from the increased hospital census, being pulled to do other things they've never done before, you know, being pulled into the vaccination clinics, learning how to care for COVID positive patients. So being engaged with the learners and finding time and the desire to precept has been more difficult. They've done an absolutely amazing job, but they really have yet to get back to those pre-pandemic levels of well-being, which I think a lot of our preceptors and those listening can likely relate to. So personally, for me, I've just tried to pay a little bit more attention to my own well-being during the pandemic to ensure that I can be a good role model for our residents and help fill in the gaps for our preceptors when they do get pulled away because they have been stretched very thin for quite some time now. So I'm just trying to use the lessons that COVID has taught me just to make me better in what I'm doing to help support our residents and our preceptors through this journey.
1: Thank you both for summarizing what I think all of us are feeling and struggling with in our programs and in our own professional careers over the last couple of years. Knowing all of the changes that have occurred with the pandemic, what has your organization done to address some of these challenges? We'll start with you this time, Melanie.
0: Thanks, Brooke. So one of the big things that we did with the COVID surges that happened since we had a one in each of the last couple of years. We just evaluated our inpatient pharmacist staffing and realized that when our own experienced pharmacists were discussing concerns about keeping up with the workload that we needed to add an extra pharmacist on the weekend. So we did that. We added an extra pharmacist shift to help address the increased hospital census. So this allowed more support for our residents when they were working on their staffing weekends, help them keep up with the workflow. So what we noticed is when we backed off that surge staffing coverage in late winter, when the surge was ending, that they had to transition to staffing alone for several hours. Normally they'd be doing that much earlier in the year, you know, as early as the the beginning of the second quarter. So they really experienced that full weight of the workflow a little bit later in their year than they normally would. Thankfully, we didn't see it stall their progress with staffing. It was just something that they noticed that it felt very different in wintertime to feel the weight of the workflow when they normally would have felt that earlier. Similar to other places, you know, we try to use the virtual platform as much as we could, hold virtual meetings. We did see some activities actually restarting, when we got more comfortable with the virtual platforms. It did make certain activities such as presentations easier. Our residents have commented on feeling comfortable with presenting to the virtual audience, but it also makes other activities a little bit more difficult for the residents. So actually crafting a group discussion in the virtual is a little bit more difficult. And they also did have fewer opportunities to precept students since a lot of our student activities or student rotations were either postponed or canceled or reorganized. Things we've done at our program level, we try to make sure our residents would meet with the employee assistance program counselors during the first couple weeks of orientation. We specifically focused on this for the classes coming in in 2020 and 2021. So we wanted to make sure that they met the counselors so that they ever needed to use those resources later in the year would be less intimidating. We also made sure to place our resident mentor match earlier in the year to make sure that they had that resident mentor right away. And when we were looking at the class coming in for 2020, we actually evaluated our whole yearly schedule and actually used a longer orientation period for the residency class. And we pushed back some of their initial pharmacy practice training to allow them more time to get acclimated to residency, make sure they were licensed as pharmacists, because we were dealing with the nationwide issue where there weren't enough testing centers when we originally had these residents coming in. And so there was a lot of work being done to try to make sure residents could sit for exams in a timely manner. One thing we noted from our class of 2020 to 21 is that they really hadn't done any presentations or been in the clinical environment, answered drug information questions, done a lot of those activities for about four months. And so they really appreciated that extra time to get into the program and make sure they had gotten back into some of those activities before they started rotations.
2: So for us, prior to the pandemic, I would say even before accreditation services was surveying programs regarding well-being related initiatives, I developed a well-being longitudinal learning experience to help support resident well-being at the same time i was already developing electives to teach our students about their own individual well-being and then taking that further to understanding well-being in the workplace and resilience so it made sense to take this opportunity to develop a similar learning opportunity for our residents knowing how equally important it really is similar to i think what has already been shared by melanie we wanted to be sure that our residents had access to utilize if needed our EAP programs, our counseling service or our hotline, making sure that the topics that we covered are rooted in appreciative inquiry and positive psychology research. And I would also add that this experience of bringing our PGY1s, our PGY2s and some of our neighboring partners or partnering residency programs that are part of our teaching and learning curriculum really brought an additional benefit Because it brought our residents together for this purpose of building their well being and resilience muscle and for bridging more community and connection among our residents with an opportunity for peer support. I also wanted this to be a very supportive and encouraging experience. So, didn't want this to necessarily be a formal requirement in our farm academic or require a formal evaluation, sort of outside of a guided reflection and action planning tool process. And also, I think similar as Melanie shared, our RPDs did obviously need to modify, and some of which has been sustained, the training program as needed so that it can include more things like remote monitoring, telehealth services needing to do virtual presentations and discussions. And I think some of that, the virtual presentations and discussions, I know is an example, not unlike telehealth, that has been sustained because often residents are traveling from site to site and it gives them the opportunity to perhaps reduce the amount of time in transit to still engage in commitments and expectations and giving back perhaps some time efficiency in their day.
1: Thank you both. I think it's really great to hear different perspectives on the things that you've done to help your residents. And that way, programs across the country really can utilize this information depending on their size, their structure, and the individual gaps within their programs. Moving on to the next question Have any of you experienced any resistance in establishing or maintaining these well being programs that you have been working on? And how did you address it? Sina? Thank you, Brooke. I have not met any
2: resistance from my colleagues, and I really appreciate the support in keeping this experience year to year by my colleagues, and I think many of the listeners would agree. We know that as training programs get tighter and tighter each year with meeting all of the residency accreditation standards as they are revised, and we are balancing shifts in practice sites. Commitments or experiences meeting resident interest areas. It gets kind of hard to fit it all in, but clearly, this is and is supported to be a very clear priority area that we need to sustain from year to year and continue to evolve and grow based on the residents' interests and needs. I think, in regard to the residents, I've been very fortunate that they are very engaged in the activities and the assignments or this action planning process requested of them. As I mentioned, since it's not a formal learning experience for us, I think they see that differently than some of the other consistent and frequent evaluative pieces that one expects to have in their residency training program. So the deliverables and the things that they're working on are kept separate and really meant for their own self-care, self-love, self-reflection. And I think that that's also been meaningful for them And so I think overall, they are looking at us, you know, the faculty and myself as a department chair and others in the institution to sort of model the way. So it's important that we all consider our well-being a priority and demonstrate that to them so that when they do butt up against some struggles, which often can happen day to day in the program, they see that, you know, we're vulnerable as well, that we struggle similarly to them and be able to create this network of support. I think that's another been, that's been another strong success that I think is not unique to us. I'm sure that's emulated in a number of programs.
0: That's really fantastic, Sina, that you guys were able to develop a longitudinal experience with well-being. That's a really great approach to that Similar to what you mentioned, everyone really at our side has been on board with the concept of our resident well-being program. It's really evolved over the years as we've learned more about well-being and resilience and just how to approach it as a program. So it was originally started back in 2013 as a way to connect our residents with a mentor provide them with resources on acclimating to Montana since we would get residents from outside the area that really knew nothing about the area, and just ensure there was a formalized process to address the wellness concerns. Back then, we only had a couple of residents, and as we've continued to expand, we still have, you know, we're a smaller program with four residents, but it's helped us with being able to address some of those wellness concerns by having a more built in process for this. So, we've noticed that sometimes when wellness concerns arise, the lines are sometimes blurry on how much support to provide for the residents. So, this is where a lot of our mentors have come into play where they've really learned on what their role is and how best to utilize their role. Initially, some of them felt like they were being leaned on a little bit too heavily, being asked to provide advice on things where they didn't feel comfortable or weren't trained necessarily to provide advice, such as related to mental health conditions. So we tried to formulate a really good relationship with our employee assistance program counselors to get resources from them. We also formed a resident wellness subcommittee that specifically focuses on this area for our residents and they've done a great job sort of spearheading it and continuing to evolve. Other times we've noticed that our residents we provide them with resources to improve their well-being but they haven't always accepted those so we tried to really make sure to communicate well with our residents, as well as our preceptors, that residents really need to take the initiative and accountability for their own well-being and resilience. And like Cena said, we need to be good role models for them and showcase how we are taking care of ourselves. Also thinking about it from the residency program standpoint of can we do things that would system-wide help them with their well-being. Feedback from our past residents was that our wellness program could be more robust. So we tried to add and refine activities as we've gone through the year. And like Sina mentioned, our main challenge is how do you fit everything in? without it starting to detract from other residency responsibilities. So it's a nice, delicate balance between paying enough attention to their well-being and providing them with resources to build up their resilient skills versus paying too much attention where every decision feels like we're evaluating it under the lens of well-being versus things like academic progress.
1: I think we as preceptors and as residency program directors, we can come up with a lot of ideas for improving wellness. But as you both mentioned, there's limited time and resources. So it's really important to determine which changes will be most impactful for our residents in our programs. Which aspects of your well-being program have proven to be most successful? And how do you really define success for those activities? Melanie, we'll start with you this time.
0: Thanks, Brooke. So our resident well-being program has several different elements. One of the biggest ones is our resident wellness subcommittee. It's a committee member of a wellness chair about and about eight other pharmacists. Most of them are residency preceptors, but they don't have to be a residency preceptor to qualify to be part of this. And they meet outside of the residency advisory committee meetings to really focus on resident well-being. And we've definitely noticed having a designated committee to focus on this has really helped. We also have the formal mentor selection process for our residents, which usually occurs in the orientation period. These are typically pharmacists, usually preceptors, and they volunteer to be part of this process. And so then they meet up with the residents and they get to know each other a little bit. And then we do a mini match process to figure out how they're going to pair well together. And the residents and mentors get to determine how this interaction goes, you know what works best for them. We just ask them to meet at least quarterly and their mentor is meant to help serve as a liaison if any wellness issues were to arise. We've also in the last couple of years implemented some more formal assessments of well-being. So we do some baseline assessments with our residents as well as some quarterly assessments. At baseline, we've done some different things related to like their learning styles, but we also in the last couple of years have had them complete a GRIT score to basically assess their baseline level of grit, as well as we implemented a professional quality of life index that our employee assistance program had suggested, because it does have several different things that it measures in the professional quality of life index, things such as burnout, but it also addresses some of the other areas, including compassion, satisfaction, and secondary traumatic stress from working in the healthcare environment. So we continue to evaluate what is the best to do for baseline assessment and repeat assessments for well-being. And I know there's been a lot of great things put out on things like ASHP Connect related to this. So we're going to continue to evolve as time goes on because our residents commented that it doesn't always necessarily feel like it's the best scale for them. But we have really noticed it's been beneficial to have some sort of formal objective rating that we can track over time. Other things that we do that we found are helpful is we send our residents out to dinner a couple of times with the employee assistance program counselors to talk about different topics related to well-being, things like preventing burnout, work-life balance, transitioning out of residency, all different kinds of topics that are great. And then over the last few years, we're trying to include other things that I'm guessing a lot of other programs also do. So, you know, some of those fun and social activities outside of residency to try to get them to meet as a group and form some of those really great relationships. We noticed this was more and more important during the times of COVID when a lot of the actual social interactions that would normally occur in residency weren't occurring. And so when it became safe to start doing those things again, we've tried to include those as time has gone on. And our resident wellness subcommittee, they continue to come up with other great ideas each year and try new things. So they're trying different things this year, such as having someone designated once a month to just stop in and check in on the residents, ask them how they're doing. You know, maybe they get them some coffee and stop by. Maybe they take them to lunch or potentially they just stop by with cards of gratitude and encouragement for the residents. So overall, the most successful parts for us have really been ensuring that we have that mentor matched early in the year, connecting our residents with the Employee Assistance Program counselors, and then also some of those quarterly assessments to give us something to track over time and ensure if we are seeing something that we address that from the Resident Wellness Subcommittee standpoint. The other things we're continuing to develop and refine, and we definitely appreciate all of our resident input to help us continue to do that really appreciate
2: hearing what Melanie just shared and all the multimodal touch points that are in place for their residents. And I'll also share just a few elements to highlight for our listeners as well. So one of the components I wanted to mention about our program is with the longitudinal program is the book club discussion that we have. And it's based on a book by Eileen McDar. If folks haven't heard of it, it's called your resiliency, GPS growth potential strategies. And I just love this book. I have enjoyed using it from year to year. I think it offers a very rich reflective experience for our residents due to so many recalculating questions that the book provides for each of the chapters. And we essentially just break the book out over the course of the year to make it more digestible and come to the table and discuss as we meet. It has very practical advice for navigating through life situations and difficulties. The next is Part of what happens when we get together is our residents begin with a rose and a thorn. And so talking about in the last quarter, you know, what has been some roses and what have been some thorns, and I love seeing how some thorns turn into roses, but I think it creates this conversation, shows some vulnerability and connection with one another that they're likely going through very similar situations as we meet up. Part of our time together, the residents are tasked to share well-being resources with one another. This takes on so many different shapes, sizes, situations. Some are bringing poems forward, books, podcasts. It might be something on Instagram, a person they follow. And I think what they're sharing with one another just helps spark engagement, motivation, inspiration, can be a stress reliever and bringing them more calmness in their circumstance and situations. I think the action planning tool that is expected of them is something they enjoy doing. It gives them a framework to follow, to raise more self-awareness, to explore more of their intrinsic motivation. And of course, couldn't we all use more of reflection time so that gets more into that metacognitive state of mind, that thinking about your thinking? There's so many topics that are covered in this curriculum. I'll just mention very few for time, but things like, as you would expect, dimensions of well-being based on the SAMHSA's definition, gratitude, active optimism, professional fulfillment, the science of happiness, the science of mindfulness, We, too, uh, incorporate some instruments that are validated, very similar to what you've heard. And this is done for us, baseline six months and the end of the year. And some examples of what we assess would be a GPS for resilience, which happens to complement the book I mentioned. So look at the five facets of mindfulness to see if they are experimenting with mindfulness. How does their mindful muscle grow over the course of the year? We also do the PERMA approach and its assessment and several others that I can certainly share for anyone who's interested. And we also look at a pre-post of our objectives established in this learning experience. And then finally, I would share that something new I've tried this year with faculty and have invited our residents to join in on is called Well-Being Rounds. And what we do is on a monthly basis, we come together. And essentially talk about either an article, a podcast, a documentary, or a book chapter, not the entire book, because we know time is definitely taken up in so many ways, right? So we... I often lead these, but I seek volunteers, could be resident or faculty to lead these as well. And we essentially, as you can imagine, will come together to talk about things that stood out to us, about the article, podcast, et cetera. What were some takeaways? How did we feel we can apply this in our lives, apply this in our workplace or across different clinical settings? And so that's proven to be another successful piece that I anticipate sustaining moving forward.
1: Thank you both for sharing insight into tried and true programs and activities that you've used in your programs. I think it's really great to have a wide variety of options so that programs across the country can really select those that are most applicable to their program and to their residents. I think most programs, even after implementing these sorts of activities, still will have residents that struggle and need additional support. So what formal processes have you developed to address those residents needing additional support outside of the scope of your wellness program? Sina?
2: Thank you, Brooke. I have a coaching background. I am a board-certified health and wellness coach, and I'm also a credentialed well-being coach. And so even though our residents have a mama-papa bear, as I always like to say, and they laugh at me but I make myself available to meet with the residents since primarily I'm meeting with them as a larger group. Always mention time and time again that I am happy to see them one-on-one as the need arises. We have EAP programs. I think both Melanie and I have already mentioned that both of my campuses, because we're a split campus and we have residents on both. So those are available. The counseling hotline is also available. On our medical campus, we have something some folks might be familiar with called a RISE program, and that's Resilience in Stressful Events program. I've been trained in that, and it's modeled after the work that was started at Johns Hopkins, and it essentially provides support for second victim training. It gives us an opportunity so that we can be there to. Be able to support and meet up with individuals across health professions who may have had any kind of near miss or a sentinel event occur as a step prior to getting enrolled in an EAP program or counseling program. So, sort of being ready to be present and support individuals no matter what their profession is. And that is also available for all faculty, staff, and employees. We invite them to have a seat at our departmental well-being and hospitality committee to be able to use that as a platform to share other ideas, needs or input. And then I also happen to wear the academic advising hat for our PGY2s in particular, I meet with them monthly. So I try and capitalize this time to also check in with them on how they're doing with their ongoing clinical experiences, their teaching responsibilities and projects. And sometimes since that's really just two on one, things might come up. And I certainly welcome that to come to the surface so that we can have a conversation about that as well. And I'm always seeking other wish list topic areas, other needs that they might have and make that part of my ongoing agenda, whether that's done more formally or through these
0: informal touch points. That's really fantastic, Sina. You guys sound like you're way ahead of the curve, even before the pandemic, and it really made an amazing program. I want to be coached. I want to go through your program. That sounds really awesome, actually. Thinking about what we do to address those things outside of the wellness program, those bigger issues. First of all, it's a detection. So we have to find the issues, right, or have the resident bring forward the issues. So really, that's where the role of our resident wellness subcommittee and myself come in. So we try to, you know, ask about well-being and ask about how things are going in my one-on-one updates with the residents, which is about every two to three weeks, I can meet with them to talk about how they're doing. Our wellness subcommittee, of course, does those quarterly assessments I spoke to earlier. And so we just ask about well-being. We've to really tried to make sure we create a safe space for them to be honest with how they're doing. So usually if additional support is needed, You have to essentially triage what the issue is. We try to loop in the resident mentor as early as we can, if that's appropriate for them, so that they can work on checking in with their mentee more often. Because our wellness subcommittee is really well connected with our EAP counselors, then usually the way that would work is our wellness chair would reach out to the EAP counselors just for general advice, not specifics about the resident scenario, to see if there's any general tips and advice that we could provide to then circle back to the resident and give them those resources. So with the wellness committee, the mentor and myself, we check in, we try to offer that support and provide the resources to the resident. If we do suspect EAP is needed, then we will strongly encourage it for them and we hope that they will take them up on that offer to do so. We're definitely very supportive if they want to fit that into their day and they need to, you know, take time away from residency to do that. We're definitely very supportive of that. So then also, you know, I will meet with them if there's things that we can do that need to be addressed. Outside of the resources, you know, things like adjusting workload or whatever it really needs to address this specific issue at hand. Some of those larger issues that'll come up in any residency program over time, if you have residents long enough, you're going to have different wellness concerns that come up. Things like leaves of absence, those of course would be handled in conjunction with our human resources department, just like it would be for other employees. And like many program directors, I've had to learn a lot of this as I go about how do you handle specific situations. And I know there's probably a lot more on the horizon that I've never dealt with that I'll look forward to. You know working on later down the road which is some things to think about we try to pay more attention to our residents if they do have to undergo remediation for a learning experience or if they do have to repeat some of those pharmacist licensing exams because we know they're going to have a decrease in their well-being while they're taking on the additional workload and that stress of being in that situation of trying to meet those expectations trying to get licensed and so we do monitor them a lot more closely during those times specifically because we want to make sure that they are successful and can pass remediation or get licensed as a pharmacist and continue in residency.
1: I think you both started to highlight that some of the issues that our residents struggle with can be really sensitive topics and put them in a vulnerable place. How have you created a safe space for residents to feel comfortable sharing their concerns as it relates to well-being while also maintaining confidentiality from colleagues and other preceptors?
0: Melanie? Thanks, Brooke. We really have improved in this area a lot over the years. So we used to include discussions about resident wellness as one of the updates that was shared at our monthly RAC meetings. However, as the size of our residency advisory committee grew, you know, upwards of around 25 pharmacists, it was decided that wellness really should have a separate meeting because of some of the nature of the wellness concerns are sensitive and trying to make sure that we have a group size that is appropriate to help with issues that arise. But really those sensitive issues are not being heard by too many ears that really want to to keep it a smaller group. So that's one thing that we've done that's been really helpful is they meet separately. And then as issues arise within those wellness committee meetings, then the chair comes to me as the residency program director and we discuss it that way. So we've also made sure that our mentors and our residents know, you know, which conversations are confidential. So the discussions between our residents and their mentors are confidential and we make sure that they know that. We be sure to ask our residents permission if they're going to share information with others after they've had those confidential conversations. They are aware as our residents that the summary of those quarterly assessments they do with the resident wellness subcommittee, some of those scoring systems I was talking about earlier, they do know that those conversations are summarized in the assessment talking about their wellness goals do get summarized, sent to me and included in their development plan. So they're aware of which parts of the conversations are confidential and which parts are included you know, in things like their development plan. Other things that have really helped us a lot in the last couple of years is just really getting to know each other. This has made a huge difference in really how we interact in an entire program level. So we do a baseline assessment of leadership styles with all of our residents. There's many different tools you could use. We use the five voices assessment here. And we've had all of our preceptors complete it, and we have our residents complete it during orientation. So once they complete their voice assessment of the five voices, then we talk about everyone's voice order. So what are your more comfortable voices and what's more difficult for you? How do we interact best? What things will trigger one type of voice versus another? And we share that with each other. It's really helped our communication significantly, having that standard way of approaching one another, so that way we can feel safe, expressing concerns. And just the organization that I work in, Billings Clinic, has put a lot of effort into making sure employees feel safe to express concerns. And so we train our residents in the principles of highly reliable organizing, or HRO. So all employees have to learn these universal skills. And some of those universal skills focus specifically on how to feel safe speaking up, asking clarifying questions, or expressing concerns. So we've noticed that having those skills and that uniform vocabulary really has helped our residents when they need to speak up and ask a difficult question, or if they need to cross check their preceptor or myself, and we encourage that. We want to make sure that if they do notice something that we could do better, that they feel safe to bring it up. So we've really tried to hit it from multiple avenues. And I think it's worked well. Obviously, we've we've learned from our mistakes in the past, and we continue to solicit resident input to make sure that they do feel safe expressing their concerns to us. Well, I really appreciate the diversity of what Melanie just shared in creating such
2: a strong safe space for the residents. I think for us here, I begin the training program year by establishing a set of ground rules to really help support psychological safety right from that first meeting. And I know I've mentioned this several times, but again, that action planning tool really is meant to help create safety as well and gives them an opportunity to reflect in action on action so that I can become more aware of what's been happening in the in-between times when we're not meeting. I read them all, every single word before we meet. So use this as a as perhaps an opportunity to screen for any red flags or other feedback and needs that they may have. And and maybe because they're not comfortable to speak up and to bring that forward verbally. I mentioned the roses and thorn concept or component to our quarterly meeting process, because again, it really brings this layer of relatedness and connectedness to know that they are going through similar challenges with each other and also to celebrate successes together. As I shared, I appreciate that our faculty, their core preceptors are showing vulnerability in meetings and in ongoing conversations to help our residents know their struggles are very similar. We here developmentally have used the five languages of appreciation in the workplace, and that's something our residents can get exposed to in better understanding people's primary and secondary workplace love language. And then I would say finally, We have an opportunity for anonymous feedback at large amongst faculty, staff and students and residents. And I particularly provide feedback boxes or idea boxes that are available in lounge areas on multiple floors in the building that are locked. And I'm the one who does a sweep to sort of look in those regularly at comments shared, things that needs to be addressed or things we might need to be monitored. I think because it's very important to give everyone voice.
1: Thank you both so much for sharing what you're doing in your programs. I think it gives us all a lot to think about, about how we can improve our programs. And this is a great starting point for all of our programs. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Dr. Haynes and Dr. Townsend for joining us today to discuss well-being and resiliency in pharmacy practice. If you haven't had the chance, I encourage you to visit wellbeing.ashp.org, where you can learn more about our partnership with the National Academy of Medicine, resources to promote wellness and strategies to manage burnout.
0: Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes access show notes and download the episode transcript if you loved the episode and want to hear more be sure to subscribe rate or leave a review join us next time on ashp official